But once again, from if you were there in Sunday school, you find out how important it is to come together. And one of those reasons we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, you might think, if you had read the passage in advance, of course, you never know what I'm going to preach on. I, I never know how much I'm going to preach on either until God gives it to me. Trials as building blocks. Really? And you think, well, maybe that's a strange title for this one, but that's what God gave me here as I was reading through the history and what was going on at the time Paul was writing these letters to the church in Thessalonica. So today we really need to get genuine. You need to be real. Um, we, live in a, we live in a world that's full of trials. How many of you experienced a trial this week? Okay. Um, we know we ask for prayer requests, and every Monday we get together in con, or in uh, Didi's office, and we pray about everything we can think of where somebody's going through a trial. Mostly that's what we pray about, and we pray a certain way. And I would say pretty much in my own trials, and probably in yours too when I get made aware of them, I pray usually, God, would you take it away? Or God would, you know, sometimes we pray, um, well, you know, at least give them peace. But God, you know, if there's a healing here, could you heal them? If, if there's a way they could find another job, God, would you open the door? If there is some way that, you know, they can get their car fixed without having to pay $5,000, God, could you just supply the means? God wants us to do that. And there's no shortage, usually, of trials in our lives. But God really drove home as I was studying for this particular sermon are you really looking at trials the way I look at them? Are, are you really looking at trials the way that I have told you about them in my word? And so maybe at the end of this, and certainly at the end of this for me, I'm going to be praying a little bit differently about trials. And I will go back to the statement I made to the kids at the end. God is completely sovereign, and he loves you completely. He loves you enough that he's willing to use painful things to make you holy. God is much more interested in making you holy than making you happy. How do I know that? How do I know that, Tim? Because it's in the Bible. And so I was reading through here and, and thinking, okay, what, what's, what's going on? And so I went back and I read some, some things about the, the background in Thessalonica, and you can look at it in uh, Acts chapter 17 and following. Paul goes and establishes the church, and he preaches in the synagogues, and he causes a riot. He doesn't cause it, but the Jews... Now, Paul is spreading a message that is threatening to the hierarchy of the Jews. Okay, he's saying, look, there, Jesus came, and, and, and now we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And he fulfilled the law by living the only perfect life of any human being that came, the, the, the one that was fully God and fully man. And that threatened them. And they were angry. They, thought, they did not see the truth. And they were threatening people and killing people 
for having those kinds of beliefs, and they chased them out of town. So if you read it in Acts chapter 17, you see that Paul was there with Silas and Timothy, and, and they stayed, and then they sent Paul away, and he went down to Athens and started more trouble. Uh, and then they joined him later, and then he goes down to Corinth, and he writes back because he knows the kind of trouble that are, that's being caused for people who are following the way or Christianity. And it was severe. I mean, uh, the persecution that was going on was really severe. And so you would think Paul would say, first of all, I'm praying that God would take that away from you. I'm praying that these guys that are hassling you are just going to quit doing it. And he never does. You know why? Because he understands that God is more interested in making them holy than he is in making them happy. So are trials really building blocks for us? Absolutely they are. So how are we looking at the trials in our life? Do we look at them the way we look at them and just say, God, take it away, take it away? Certainly it is bad, right? We see as humans all, and I could say, if I described all of the tribulations and trials and things, maybe, maybe persecution that some of you are going through, Certainly, there's the spiritual battle going on, and I felt that. I felt that last week, and I did. And, and then I, but then I know people were praying for me, and I felt some relief from that. I, really, I, I can say that I don't go that direction a lot, but I, I felt oppressed spiritually. And, and then I know through a lot of prayer, on your part mostly, I, I woke up Tuesday morning, and I just felt completely different. So I know those things are going on, but if we, if we were to describe all of the trials that are going on in your life, we would all probably agree, well, that's bad. Boy, boy, that's bad. Well, well that wasn't good for them. And, and, and that, that was sure tough. And boy, you know, what, do we, what can we do to get them out of that? That's not how God looks at your trials. It's how we look at them. We talked again in, in Sunday school this morning. How, how can we see our lives and our world through the eyes of God instead of the eyes of ourselves? Because God has different priorities for our lives than most of the time we do. Again, he, he wants to make us holy, right? He knows that what I find important, oftentimes you don't. Because we see things through the eyes of our flesh instead of the eyes of God. So we talked about what, what's the answer? Well, the answer was die to flesh, <clears throat> have your mind transformed and renewed by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, and start to see people in your life as God would see it. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I've shared a number of times, different times in my life when I went through some pretty significant and very, very painful trials. <clears throat> and I said, you know, the hardest part of this for me was to, to, when I looked at this passage in James to say, consider it joy. No way, God. That was bad. I want it out. And I want it out as soon as possible. And frankly, I'm a little mad you let me go through that. Now, I'm broken, and I'm a human. And that was my, my particular perspective at the time. Although God, you know, granted me time, and, you know, we, we all have that benefit of hindsight to go back and look, and I, it was very, very clear in my life that the trials that God put me through, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, besides my salvation, my wife, and my family, th these were the greatest gifts God ever gave me. 
He completely humbled me and turned my life around 180% and redid my mind to put a different perspective and a different priority in what I was doing. I was working, you know, with two jobs and all the time and always gone, and my wife was raising the kids by herself pretty much, and my focus was on stuff of this world. I loved God, and I was still saved, and I still uh, felt like, you know, God, you, got that. You, you led me into this career path and everything, but God loved me enough that he took all that away, and I was completely humbled. But now I can look back at that and say, man, God, thank you, but guess what? took me about 10 years to get to that point. So what God is saying is, no, 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 Tim. You don't have to wait 10 years. In fact, you could even thank me right now for the ones that are coming. How do we get there? How do we get there? Because let me tell you, you're going to see. Here is Paul writing the second letter to a group of Christians who are being Pounded in their, in their world. Just pounded. Harassed. Maybe, maybe they've lost family connections. Maybe they've lost their jobs. Maybe they're being threatened with death. Certainly if they were Jewish converts to Christianity, they're in big, big, big trouble and their entire social system has been taken away from them. And so you think, number one, Paul would be saying, God, please just take this away from them so that people will quit persecuting him. Here's what he says. I'm gonna, and I'll use this point too, first of all. <clears throat> we ought always, we ought always, or we should be obligated and bound and indebted to thank God for you at all times, brothers, as is right, as is your due, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness, and that means cheerful perseverance and faith in all of the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. Anywhere in there do you see Paul praying for their trials to be taken away? No. In fact, we're going to see their response a little bit later as we look at this. And some of the other things that Paul has told them back in the first letter to their church. He's saying, look, I am so proud of you. Look what's happening in the midst of your trial. Here was your response. And their response was not, as far as we know, pointing their finger at God and saying, God, we're trying to serve you, and look, this is what we get for it. Everything in my life is being turned upside down. I'm being harassed by everybody and, and driven out of town in cases and losing my job, losing my family, persecuted, not just persecuted, but everything is going wrong. And yet, what was their response? They grew in faith, they grew in love for one another, and they cheerfully held on. See, this is real life, people. This is real life. This is not some sort of theological, this is what you should do. This is what they actually did do. In real life, they accepted Jesus Christ. 
It changed their life completely. It gave them a new perspective on life, and that change in their life brought nothing but immediate pain from the people around them. And yet, look at their response. Not once did they, do we know, were they complaining? Were they angry at God? Were they shaking their fist at, at the other people? They were just so enthralled with their new identity and the love that God had given them that they grew in faith and they grew in love and they cheerfully persevered. How do we get there? How do we get there? Well, first of all, I want to say this. Um, We'll start from the very first point. And this one kind of bonged me in the head as I was starting out. Um, And this is Paul along with Silas and Timothy. We ought always to give thanks for you to God. To God. Not, 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 we're not, he didn't call and say, hey, thank you so much for demonstrating what Christianity was about. Because he knew it was God's power in their lives that allowed them to have this kind of a response. And he is thanking God. And he's telling them, look, I am proud of you, but I'm thanking God for the work that he's doing in your life. But, but he is thankful when he sees the fruits of God's labor in the lives of others where he was part of the process because he was willing to submit his own life. So I want to tell you, in all sincerity, especially having talked with other village missionaries, and and I am so, so thankful for you. I pray for you guys every day. And in those prayers, I guarantee you, one of them is I am so blessed by having you and seeing God working in your life and seeing the growth that God is accomplishing in you, that is my reward here as your pastor. Thank you so much. You guys have shown me a growth of love and faith as we've done different things and I've seen God raising you up and maturing in you. And let me tell you, I am so blessed by that. And I brag about you to other village missionaries, and and they know Machias is a special place. And so I want you to know that. I want you to know how thankful I am to be your pastor, to see God working in your life, and that maybe he used me to help you. That goes a long way when things get hard. But thank you. But then we see, okay... Are trials really building blocks in our lives? Does God put them there for a reason or are are they just part of a broken world and they have no purpose and they have no meaning and we're just going to try to avoid them or or power our way through them or just keep moving on or just close our eyes and, and let it pass or hopefully someone around us encourages us? Instead, what does Scripture say? Are these really gifts from God? And does God really use these things, or are they just temporary times in our life that we just want to forget and move on past? Some of that is going to be up to you. So here we have a couple things, trials and tribulations, and then persecution. Trials and tribulations, they're allowed by God. How do I know that? Because God's sovereign. Nothing happens outside of God. He has to either cause or allow everything. What do I know about God? He loves me. 
He's working all things together for my good because I loved Him. It's allowed by God, but it's caused by one of these things, the consequences of being in a broken world, the consequences of other broken people, the consequences of my own broken self, or satanic forces, or God brought it. Do you ever think about that? You ever think about sometimes the trials in my life, actually God brought them? It's one of these things, I can guarantee you. It's, quant- it's consequences of the brokenness in which we live, including ourselves. Or it's God bringing me a trial because he knows it's probably his best tool to make me holy. But it can only be God's best tool. It is God's best tool, I believe, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but I have to cooperate. I have to be looking at the trial the way God looks at it in order to gain the maximum benefit from it. Because if I'm just angry, if I'm just frustrated, if I'm just shaking my finger at God, am I really learning what God wants me? Am I really being refined as through fire? Am I going to become the more shiny penny if I'm not seeing the trial the way God's Word defines it? Probably not. And here's the bad news for you. Guess what? If you don't, you get more. God said, well, that one didn't work. We'll try another one. Because he loves you enough to purify you as through fire because he's more interested in your holiness than he is in your happiness. Our response is to flee from pain. God's response is something else. So what is God's purpose and intended outcome for trials? Well, he allowed trials to happen in the lives of the Thessalonians, and the outcome was they grew in faith and love for one another, and they cheerfully persevered. Let's see what the Word of God has to say about his intended purpose and outcome for trials. First of all, they're going to transform us, right? God's job in our lives, after we are reconciled by accepting Christ as our Savior and Lord, is that now, guess what? You've been chosen, and now I'm going to transform you back. That is the purpose. I said it, say it again. Most important thing you can ever be involved with as a human being right here in this life is to be reconciled back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Number one. Number two is to be transformed back into the image of Christ. God is more than willing to help you. In fact, he's persistent, and he knows what will work. Trials are it. So that they may result in the following seven things. Now, I'm going to try to get through these things. Um, One of the things we learn in in how to put together sermons is don't use too many other um, texts. But I'm going to give you all seven of these, and we're going to to kind of jet through them a little bit. But there are seven points at least. Now, these are not all of the scriptures pertaining to the purpose of trials in your life, but they are some. And we're going to look at these seven points so that we can say, maybe I need to reorient the way I look at trials so that I can achieve maximum benefit 
from them, which is God's outcome, which is to transform me more into the image of Christ. Okay, so that they, so I'm going to have to say that every time, so that they may result in joy and perseverance, maturity and completeness. This is the one I use most. This is the one I go to the most. Uh, This is the one that probably convicts me the most because I have trouble with the joy part. Consider it joy, brothers, or count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let the steadfastness or perseverance have its full effect in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, God's saying, look, I'm going to send you this trial. You, if you actually accept this as true, can be joyful even in the trial, knowing that it is given to you for my outcome, which is this, producing steadfast perseverance in your life. And when you have that, here's what will come from it. Perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. God has a purpose for the trial in your life. It's to produce steadfastness that will result in perfection, and what it means, perfection means complete, and maturity lacking in nothing. See, that's God's job after you accept Him as as Savior is to say, I am going to give you these things. I want you to grow in the maturity. I want you to go down that sanctification pathway as far as possible where you will find all the things you need from life from me, When you become complete and mature, lacking in nothing, I'm going to give you all the things, all the spiritual gifts, and the best way for you to really appreciate them is when you go through trial. Okay, God, I'll keep that in mind the next time a trial comes. Okay, I am in trials so that they may result in not trusting in myself, but trusting in God. Ooh, Tim, big one for you. I started my adult life thinking I was pretty good, pretty smart. I did very well in school. I had a high IQ. I was legitimately said I was going to be president of the United States. (laughs) Had an A-type personality, a lot of confidence, thought I was going to conquer the world. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1-9, Indeed, we felt that we had received this sentence of death. He talked about all the different things he was going through and how, man, even one time he thought he was dead and all the different things that were going on in his life. But guess what? He recognized it. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So Paul recognized, hey, sometimes God sends trials or sometimes God allows trials because I'm getting pretty good at relying on my own strength and my own talents and my own confidence. And guess what, Tim, that's never really going to work for you. I would like to get that away so you can come back to where you actually are relying on me. So when you go through a trial, one of the things you have to ask yourself right away is, am I trying to power through this on my own? Or am I actually relying on God? As human beings, we're very, very prone to want to power through it on our own. I can do this, God. I can handle it. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty competent. I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty smart. I have lots of skills. And God says, that's not the answer. That's not the answer, Tim. So here's what I want you to do. When that trial comes up, ahead of time, think about this. What am I going to do with it? First thing is I'm going to give it to God. How many of you have seen people that are like that? 
It's very encouraging when you do. You know, the very first thing they do is pray. Um, most of my life, the very first thing I did was try to figure out a way to fix it. Because I was pretty good at it. I was a good problem solver, good thinking on my feet, pretty perseverant, and God, and I said, I mean, this was it. This was the mantra of my life. Never, 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 ever give up. You could do this. I don't care how hard it is. You can do this. You can work 24 hours a day if you need to, Tim. Instead of taking it to God and saying, God, what I really need to know is what you want to do in me, and I need to rely on you when this trial comes. I need to reorient the way I look at my priorities here. And God says, I'll send you a trial. Will you rely on me instead of your own strength when it comes? God sends us or allows trials to give us praise, glory, and honor in eternity. See, there are some things about trials that can result in these things, and we're going to see it right here. Another one of my great verses that God gave me here in the last couple of years to really rely on, as we, the first part of it in verses 3, 4, and 5, talks about the wonderful things God's already given me. My inheritance, it can't foil, spoil or fade, it can't be taken away, God's keeping it for me in heaven. But now, for a little while... In those things you rejoice, but now for a little while, if necessary, clearly was necessary in my life, probably yours too, that you've been grieved by various trials, so that, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, my faith needed to be tested. How good is your faith if it's never tested? Oh, yeah, I rely on you, God. Oh, yeah, I believe you're, gonna, I believe you're in control. I believe you got all on my back, but, but don't ever try to test that, will you? No. I'm going to send you these so that as a test, and I'm going to hope that you persevere through there, that that's going to result in these things in eternity. There is a return, an eternal reward for you, for your faithfulness. And so God's giving you more and more opportunities probably in your life all the time to stockpile some things in heaven. Will I do that? Will the testing of my faith turn it or show me that it's genuine and that I can look to God and say, more precious than even gold, which it burns up eventually in fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes back. We do have to keep our focus. You know, it says, keep, keep your mind on things above. Recognizing that, yes, for a little while in this life, we are going through trials but I can find joy and I can rejoice knowing that those things are out there for me. That helps me and gives me confidence in going through the trials of this life. That's what was being displayed by the church in Thessalonica that Paul was commending them for. Okay, so let's look at another point. <clears throat> so that God allows or causes trials in my life so that it could have the effect of giving me confidence that leads to peace. Really? John 16.33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. Look, guys, I know it's going to be hard. 
But have this confidence, which will lead you to peace. In the end, you win. God sends me trials to remind me that I'm a winner. Most of the time, I feel like a loser. I feel like God's angry with me or I I don't measure up or he doesn't really love me as much or he's disappointed with me. And he's saying something completely different. I gave you, I'm telling you this stuff so you can have peace now and confidence to know that in the end, I overcame it all on your behalf. Do you really have confidence in the midst of trials? Knowing that God has your back, knowing that your eternal destiny is secure, and knowing that God can work through them in your life to perfect you as gold. I think you have to prepare in advance. I really do. I, have, I think you have to tell yourself that on a pretty regular basis. This too shall pass. God's using this. How can I find God's lesson for this in my life right now? How can I find joy right now? How can I find peace right now? God's saying it's available. Where am I going wrong? And most of it is we have the wrong perspective on it. Okay, another point. God allows or causes trials in my life to come up with an opportunity to teach me to be humble. But he said to me, to Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Take a look at that one. For the sake of Christ, I'm okay. When these things happen, for when I am weak, he is strong. Right? And and he gives me the strength. Paul is saying, look, I've tried maybe relying on my own strength, but here's what I found out. I, for the sake of Christ, am okay when my life is going sideways because I know when I am weak, then I will be strong. What's he saying there? Is he saying, well, when I'm weak, God's going to give me spinach like Popeye and I'll be strong? No. It means God says, I will step in and I will be strong for you. And that humility is necessary. If we're going to learn the lessons God wants us to learn from the trials we go through, we have to learn humility. Going back to the other one, you know, who do we rely on? He says, look, I learned to rely on God because these were way over my head. How many of you have been way over your head? Where you just had so much trial or piled up so much that there's just, God, I cannot do this. I just can't. I have to say, it's happened. I don't even want to think about how many times. I've just been rolled over. And God says, sometimes, maybe, Tim, in your life, that's necessary for you. But if you lay there, overwhelmed, run over like tire tracks down the middle of your back, and you don't recognize that where you are weak, you can be strong, if you don't recognize that you have to give this to me right away, I'm going to have to run over you again. If we're really going to learn what trials are supposed to teach us, we have to be willing to look at it God's way. God allows or causes trials in our life so that we can find comfort in him and therefore give it to others. 
you know, I've, I've gone through that, and it went through a, a time with a, with a really good friend, and he had lost his job, gone bankrupt, and, and his wife left him all in the matter of two weeks. He went bankrupt because when she left, she told him, oh, by the way, I ran up $160,000 in debt that you didn't know about, and sorry, I'm going to leave that with you. And so Providence would have it. I had already planned a trip out to be with him, and so I spent the week with him talking about all these things and helping him to find some comfort. And after a sufficient amount of time had gone by, we talked. And he was actually a guy who, kind of odd, life had pretty much gone pretty well for him up to that point. And he said, I never really considered that other people were going through tragedy in their life. It never happened to me. And I said, there you go. God's giving you a gift. Find other people that are going through what you went through and give them comfort. So we see in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction and with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. God gives you comfort so that you can share it with others. God sometimes brings us trials, I think, to provide empathy and sympathy for others going through the same thing, and you can waste that if you just wallow in your own problem. Say, God, I got this. It hurt, but you've given me an understanding and an insight so when someone else is going through it, I can share what you gave me to them. What a gift. But it's only going to happen. God can only have that benefit of trial in your life if you use it the way he's saying in his word. I went through this. How can I find someone else and show them how God comforted me and and gave me some peace and gave me some wisdom with other people going through the same thing? Well, if I'm not looking, I probably won't find them. God's given us trials sometimes so that he can give us the comfort that he wants to give us. See, God comes alongside those who are brokenhearted. He recognizes that these things can hurt, but he's there to give us the comfort if we go to him, and then we can use that experience to give us the motivation to help someone else find that same comfort as they go through something similar. God sometimes hurts his children to give them empathy. Use it. Use what God has done in your life, what what trials have done in your life, to find someone else to give comfort to. And finally, bringing glory to God. God, <clears throat> it really is the purpose of everything. The Westminster Short Catechism starts out by saying, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy his love forever. Everything is about glorifying God. And God says, look, I will even glorify myself through your trial. You can glorify me through your trial. <clears throat> so Jesus uh, was there, and, and there was, they said, that as they passed by with some of his disciples, uh, he saw a blind man that was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it's not, it's not that this man sinned, or even his parents had sinned. They did. But that wasn't the reason, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I remember at 9-11, and, and there were 
pastors on radio and TV and social media definitely saying, this is God's judgment on America. And this is because we're such a sinful country. And this is because the United States has done this and done that. And then I heard somebody with a little more wisdom, one of the, another pastor, say, um, that may be possible, but don't be presumptuous. You don't know. We don't know, but what we do know is God's in control. And maybe he was just showing his mighty power. We don't know. But God should be, we should be able to glorify God and say, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't know why you're doing this, but I know you love me. I know you promised to use this for my good. I know you're, you can use it to refine me if I will cooperate. And so I give you the glory, God, that you love me enough to show me tough love. Let me tell you, that's a lot easier about six months later. But nonetheless, you can try to get there as soon as possible and give God the glory for the trials he brings into your life. We don't understand his plan all the time. Most of the time we have our own plan. It doesn't match up with God's plan. But if we have faith in God's plan, we can glorify him and bring glory to him by how we respond to trial. Okay, so there we go. We had these seven things. Boom. Joy, this is what God has planned according to his word that we just read. Can I look at these things, maybe ahead of time, write them down, and say, God, I am going to study these things in your word because you are bringing trials into my life so that they may result in all of these good things. Read through them real quick. Joy, perseverance, maturity, completeness, trusting in God, bringing praise, glory, and honor to me in eternity, giving me confidence that leads to peace, teaching me to be humble, finding comfort, and bringing glory to God. Are any of those bad? Are any of those bad? So, so therefore, are trials bad? Maybe next time, when you bring me a prayer request, instead of just praying, God, would you please take this away from this person? I'm going to say, God, will you help them find joy in this? God, will you help them to see what you're trying to do in their life? God, would you use this to refine them? God, would you use this to help them be empathetic towards others? God, will you give them this confidence and peace that I know is out there? God, would you help them to not rely on themselves? God, please be glorified by this. If we don't redo our thinking about trials, we are never going to have the response that the church in Thessalonica had when their lives were turned upside down because they believed in Jesus and their faith grew and their love for one another overflowed and they were joyfully persevering. That's the result we want. But if you don't see trials through the eyes of God instead of the eyes of your flesh, how is he going to work his, his work in you? How do we think? Okay, so how do we get there? i got to finish you up, but I don't abuse you again. Is it possible to have God's perspective on trials? Absolutely. Why don't we? Because they usually hurt and we flee from pain. That's our first response. Because they can make us confused because we don't understand or angry or bitter or our emotions take control over our mind and even though we know God can use it, we're just angry 
They don't seem fair. They don't seem right. So they must be bad. Or we're ignorant of God's true purpose. Or we've listened to some false teachers that said, oh, the reason that you're in trial is because you don't have enough faith and God really wants you to be happy and wealthy and healthy all the time. We're ignorant of God's true purpose. Mostly we just don't like discipline. Sometimes it's discipline from God, sometimes, right? So we don't like any of those things, and so it's hard for us. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do? What does it take to really be able to respond? Well, number one, one of the things you're doing right now, and that is hopefully increasing your knowledge, having your mind transformed, no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but have your renewed of your mind be transformed by knowing the truth of God's word as it applies to trials in your life. I have to intellectually understand it first. Then I need faith. I need the faith when things are hard to say, God, I trust you. God, I really trust you. I can be joyful. I can have confidence. I can have peace because, God, I really trust you. Now, don't get me wrong. And there is a time for weeping and there is a time for sadness. And when we have trials that hurt or they're really serious, there's, God knows and there's nothing wrong with crying, there's nothing wrong with crying out to God. We see it in Scripture. I'm not saying that, that God says it's, you can't do that or that you just have to laugh through it all all the time. That is why he gives us one another. One of the reasons we have when we all come together and that one of providing comfort to others is that God gives us empathy so that we're looking for our brother, Christian brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through trials so that we can be there to help them find comfort, to encourage them, to give them love, because we all have to have time to process those. It's not wrong to be hurt. It's not wrong to be broken. It's not wrong to feel like I'm overwhelmed. But God gives us one another for that. But he also says, in order to see these trials the way, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to know, once that pain has subsided, once you can find that place, you can start understanding the truth of this is that you need faith because intellectually it won't be enough. You have to actually believe it. God, do you really love me? Yes, I do. God, can I really trust you? Yes, you can. God, is sometimes it going to hurt? Yes, it will. God, are you going to use this? Can you use this in my life to make me more like you? Yes, I can. We need knowledge, we need faith, but we also need encouragement. That's why you're here. Hopefully one of the reasons why you're here is we, we learned there in Sunday school this morning to encourage one another. You know, it was so encouraging to hear Josh say of the things that they saw and the knowledge that they received and the wisdom and the encouragement from that, from that conference. As they went through, and there's some very, very trying subjects that are going on in our culture, and, and, and it's very confusing for a, a lot of young people and a lot of us, and say, how, what's God's view of this? And to come that back, we need those encouragements. That's why God puts us together. Don't neglect the meeting of yourselves together, as, as some do, because I'm bringing you together for a, pers- for a purpose. We need that. We need one another. We all need to be encouraged. We can be encouraged by God's word. We can be encouraged by, by, by the Holy Spirit. We can be encouraged by one another. And we need all three of those. If you're going to really come out or go through a trial and receive maximum benefit for God's result in it in your life, you need those things. We need to look at it the way God looks at it. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we first of all, thank you for your word. Thank you for this example from real life in the lives of the Thessalonian church. I wish I could go back and pat them on the back and see them, and I probably wouldn't understand a word they were saying anyway, but Lord, what a cool thing that you gave us that example in Scripture to see people who are going through really severe trials who instead of being angry, instead of being disappointed, instead of giving up, grew in love, grew in faith, and practiced cheerful perseverance. Lord, help that be us. Help us to see our lives and our world the way you see it. See the trials the way you intended them so that we can receive the benefits that you want for us, that you're telling us and promising us in your scriptures. Lord, we just thank you for how you're going to change us through all of this for the time we had together, and we just give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.